Expanding reality. Dr. Edith Mbutu Chan joining us. You are incredible. Uh, we have a mutual friend in Mark Gober, who, of course, anyone that's a friend of Mark Gober's is family for us. So um, it's it's brilliant to have you on. Of course, all the ways to find you are super professional around here are going to be located down in the show description for everyone to find you. Of course, your luminousrevolution.com. All the stuff you're doing is fascinating. So I can't wait to introduce you to my audience. So if you don't mind on that note, speaking of segues here, would you introduce yourself for my audience? It's not too familiar with you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Mark Gober. If you're listening, thank you for always introducing me to the most awesome, extraordinary, high quality human beings all around the world. And yeah, to the audience listening, thank you so much for this um, beautiful sacred time that we get to share together, whether you're going for a walk or, you know, um, chopping vegetables in the kitchen or driving in your car or um, taking a nap. Like, thank you so much for sharing this energy with us. Um, so my name is uh, Dr. Edith Ubuntu Chan. A little bit of backstory. Um, when I was four years old, I wanted to be a Chinese healer, a Chinese medicine healer. And I took a very circuitous route that ended up in technology and software and studying applied math at Harvard and get nerding out on the scientific, engineering, mathematical, analytical spectrum of life. And um, yeah, it was a kind of a maybe we can share the full story later on a circuitous journey that brought me back to being a Chinese medicine doctor. And so I've um, been a Chinese medicine doctor for about 22 years now. And along that journey, a lot of interesting exploration of Qigong, of meditative realm, of traveling across the cosmos and um, exploring consciousness. And really that informed my relationship to life and the nature of reality. And with everything going on in the world these last recent years, it's got a lot more people doing the soul searching. You know, I feel like those of us listeners listening, maybe some of you guys have been exploring consciousness for many decades. And it just seems like we've been preparing our whole lives for this time right now. And I'm so blessed that we can actually embody these, these ideas and philosophies that many of us have been exploring for decades. And now is the time where we can actually manifest it into phys physical reality with the way that we do life, parenthood and education. And create structures in our communities, actually embody this new consciousness in a practical, grounded, integrated way. So that evolved me gradually into the conversations about parenthood and education. And there's fun stories to share. I hope I get a chance to share the stories of our family life, um, entering into parenting and entering into this topic of education and new paradigms of how we can completely um, rebirth the ideas of family life and parenthood and education to with the with understanding that what is the purpose of this life is the purpose of this life for us to evolve and expand our consciousness if that's the case then education parenting village life community life all of that stuff is getting reinvented now so that's what my luminous education work is all about and so much to explore so that's like a quick little taster of the kinds of things that I love to share with your audience. Outstanding introduction. We're looking forward to more. Your Luminous Kids, we do have noted to touch here on here. So I'm very, very excited about that. We do also have a conscious parenting group that we have set up here that I'm very much looking forward to collaborating with your tribe on because you guys have an incredible program going on there as well. We'll talk about that off here another time. Awesome. So I, I am interested, just curious firsthand, just personally here, where, where are you from originally? 
I grew up in Hong Kong um, for the first 10 or 11 years of my life. And then my family immigrated to United States and I've been um, either East Coast or West Coast United States ever since. So interesting. I at 18 uh, was a musician, that little guitar, that buddy right there, that guitar and I toured China for a month. We were all over the place over there. It was absolutely incredible, like 18 different cities in 28 days. And it's interesting because I put it down for a little while and then went back to music, which I fell in love with all over again, went in China. So we have a, a lot of parallels with our stories of coming back home to things that really set our souls free. And it's just fascinating. So I, I'd love to start with your story, if you don't mind, ma'am. Yeah, which story? So many stories. Yeah, I could I, I, your meditation, your your 2003, the significance of your backstory with the 2003 and the medita uh, meditation induced awakening. I'm very interested to hear that. Okay. Mm. Okay, so the backstory of that is in 2003, I think I was about um, two thirds of the way done with my Chinese medicine training at that point. And I had gone to Chinese medicine school because when I was four years old, growing up in Hong Kong, there was this one time where my, um, my dad had a horrible back pain and my, um, sister had this swollen ankle that nothing was helping. They went from doctor to doctor. We have all these fancy doctors in our family and nothing was working, basically. You know that story where people, so many people have these stories where they're like, I tried everything. And then and then out of desperation, my parents heard about some Qigong healer in a back alleyway. And long story short, I went along as a four-year-old. This was like in 1980, early 1980s. And um. I was dressed in this like velour warm up suit. And, you know, back in the 80s, I just like remember vividly this Qigong master emitted his chi in front of my eyes. And in one session, my dad's back pain was gone. He stood up straight, no pain. My sister's ankle swelling shrank right down. And so that. I'm, that's a different story than what you're asking me to tell, but that was the backstory. I wanted story. that one too. So thank you. Yes. So, so I'm like four years old and like, what are these adults doing? Trying to go from doctor to doctor, therapist to therapist when here's one guy on pennies on the dollar in one session solves the problem. You know, so that planted the seed where I was like, when I grow up, I'm going to become a Chinese Qigong person, too. And of course, back then, you can't really like make a good living, so to speak, doing these kinds of alternative things. And so my my family discouraged me, my aunts, uncles, everyone's like, you should go to school, get a good job, get good grades, all this stuff and um, get a, you know, buy a house and have 2.5 kids, all those standard things that I was like, no. This guy, this guy's like the guy, he's the man that I want to emulate when I grow up, you know, like he solved all the problems that you guys can't you see like I, it, it blew my mind that the, the um, adults thought it was more valuable to do all these things that society approved of when here's one guy who had the direct path to healing and solve people's problems that other people couldn't solve. And it started me kind of like questioning a lot of things. So, so I feel very blessed, probably on some higher level, I had planned that seed 
that would remind me of my soul path in this lifetime at age four, like something like that was supposed to have to happen to kind of trigger something within me. And then all the adults said, no, you can't do any of that. And so basically, long story short, after months of trying to convince anybody that I wanted to study Chinese medicine and Qigong and become a Chinese Qigong healer, nobody would let me. So I say, you know, I mean, all all is perfect now, decades later. I struggled for a long time. I was like, wow, what a weird world we're in. And then finally I thought, hmm, well, if I can't be a Chinese Qigong healer, what about all of those stars and the cosmos and the sacred geometry and these orbs of light that visit me every night? When I'm a little kid laying in bed, I'm sure your audience too, a lot of people, when you're little, you lay in bed and you're like, oh, hello orbs, hello friends. And you can pierce through the dimensions and see the stars and the cosmic imagery. And you're like, oh, what's that all about? And so I thought if I can't become a Chinese Qigong healer, maybe I could become an astronaut and understand the, the cosmos. And so I started telling all the adults that I would become an astronaut someday, if that's if I have to pick a second choice and everyone's like, oh, good, be really good at math and science and engineering and maybe you can become an astronaut someday. So, yeah, fast forward, I ended up taking a circuitous path into science, into technology, into engineering. I graduated with a magna cum laude with an applied mathematics degree from an Ivy League university and all these things later. Basically, after September 11th, when everybody started, you know, getting jolted by the experience of September 11th, I started asking a lot of questions too. And, um, and I had gone to a place where after graduating from university, I took one software technology job after another and was extremely unhealthy, gained 15, 20 pounds, was had a lot of health issues, digestion issues, acne, all these kinds of things, um, um, colds and flus all the time. And um, after September 11th, I had a big soul searching and said, you know what, I, I'm living somebody else's life. I don't care that I'm rising through the ranks and getting employee of the year award. I need to go back to do Chinese medicine school. I need to quit everything and do what I always wanted to do when I was four years old. And um yeah, so these are the back the background stories of how I find myself in 2003 about two-thirds of the way done with my Chinese medicine training at that point. And um, when I started Chinese medicine school, it was the trippiest thing because I had gained all that weight, I had the bad skin, I had um, digestive problems, I had, I hope this is not TMI, like monthly menstrual cramps that were debilitating, so many things in my health that I thought, is this what being an adult is like? And then I start Chinese medicine school and it wasn't like I was eating super healthy or anything, but suddenly a complete realignment of my life path, all of my symptoms vanished. And I start practicing Qigong, which is one of my favorite thing about the Chinese medicine education. You study acupuncture, herbology, and Chinese medicine theory, and the whole kind of like, uh, like yin-yang balance and Taoist philosophy on life. And I just completely recalibrated my relationship with life itself, you know, with just the study of it. And, um, and then just being in such a state of inspiration and joy, it's like, wow, my 
body is changing in front of my eyes. My skin clears up. I drop those extra 15, 20 pounds and my digestion problems are gone. I don't have any menstrual cramps anymore. It's like, this is incredible. So my favorite part of Chinese medicine school was the Qigong classes. And so in, in school, there's like a required part of the curriculum where you study Qigong and Tai Chi and um, all these things like training your sensitivity to um, energies. When you do acupuncture class, there's also the technique class where you sense into the energetic flow as you're applying the acupuncture needles and so on. Like those were my favorite parts. Like I was having a direct experience of the energetic nature of reality that I had seen with my own eyes when I was four. And now I'm like really studying it deeply. It was just like, oh, it was like a bomb for my soul to be immersed in that energy, you know? So my favorite class was Qigong class, which, you know, those of you listening, probably mostly meditators, you guys have all had experience of just simply sitting with yourself and dropping deeply within and taking some deep, deep breaths. It's always a win is always awesome. You can't lose, you know? So Qigong for uh, the audience, I think there's probably a lot of meditators in this audience, but those of you that are new to the idea of Qigong, Qigong is the meditative practice within the Chinese medicine tradition. And so by definition, Qigong means like working with energy, which is kind of like all of life, you know? Life is Qigong basically, but specifically Qigong is anytime you have a conscious intentional practice where you're conscious about your breathing practice with a very specific breathing pattern, you're conscious about the using your intention and your consciousness to guide the energy in a specific way. And then physically, your body is either seated in a very specific posture, a specific kind of mudra with your fingers or your hands, or you're going through a movement or something. So there's a physicality part of it, the consciousness part of it, and the breath part of it. Whenever there's these three components, that's called Qigong, simple. So life itself is actually Qigong, right? So I'm in Qigong class and I love it so much that I continue to study outside of the required curriculum to do deeper, more advanced classes and trainings in Qigong. And so in 2003, I was taking one of these classes and even though every time I practice, it was like a very relaxing, peaceful, healing experience, this particular time in 2003, when this happened, it was nothing that I had ever read about or had any expectation of. It was just, it felt like it came out of nowhere. This class, I was following a guided breathing and meditative practice and going deeper and deeper and deeper until one moment I'm sitting there meditating and then the whole thing exploded and I experienced myself suddenly as trillions and trillions of pieces of love and light. The size of the entire cosmos. I experienced myself as the entire cosmos. And it took me many years to um, find words to get close to articulating what this experience is because as you know, as your audience knows, like it's very hard to put words to this kind of experience. But I knew that I was home. I instantly knew that this is our natural state and this is the true reality. The other one was some 
tacky imitation or something like that. Like this was so much more real than this other reality. I realized that I went home to our true reality. And it was such a profound state. I used to use word like it was just profound love and peace and serenity. Like I had no words to describe the kind of love that I was experiencing. But actually, it was like a complete contentment. Like every question I had, because our teacher had said, you know, go into this meditation and ask some questions and see if you get intuitive guidance. So I had questions and it was all answered instantaneously. It was all answered and there was no more question. I was in a field of all answers and no more questions. Complete contentment. And it was so beautiful. And it was like, wow, I'm home. This is our natural state. This is who we really are, the truth of who we really are. And, I, you know, it's beyond time, beyond space. I had no concept of having a body anymore. And it was just being completely at one with all of creation again. Eventually, from a faraway distance, there was this voice that was like, what is that? Oh, yeah, that's a meditation class somewhere happening in San Francisco. Oh, yeah, there's this girl who's in her 20s and she's uh, finishing up her Chinese medicine school training, sitting in a classroom in San Francisco. Oh, wait, what's that? And so it kind of like there's like a little thread of like connection to this being that is like a physical person in this reality over here. I'm like, maybe it wasn't even like I should go back. Maybe it this should go back to that. You know, did you feel that you were watching the person as if it was somebody else or that it was another you that you recognized or another lifetime you lived or were living simultaneously when you would tune into one of these side quests type threads with the woman meditating and all that? It was like this. It should go to that it or something like that. I don't know. I I was. I I'm. I'm struggling at this moment to have the right words to describe. It was like, this might want to go back to that. <laughs> and um, it wasn't like, I need to go back to this. And no, I, the, the I was very different. And, um, and so it was like, huh, yes, that's right. That's right. And then gradually, I think there was a transition back to like, am I Edith Chan in a body? Like there was this like transitional state of who am I? And then it was like, oh yeah, probably should go back there. And so it became an absurd experience of this trillions and trillions of pieces of love and light densifying itself into the pretense of a physical body in this apparent state of, you know, like in the classroom sitting in San Francisco, it seemed kind of like a joke and it seemed kind of absurd to densify basically infinite pieces of love and like back into a physicality. So when it finally landed into this body, there was an explosion of an avalanche of tears because of the absurdity and weirdness of it all. And it took me a long time to be able to 
find words to describe what was that clashing sensations that was felt when I finally landed back into the physical reality. It was like an intense love and appreciation, the deepest gratitude for having gone home and remembered who we actually are. And then an intense grief and upset, sorrow, sadness that oh my God, this whole reality, as Mark would say, is upside down, you know, like it's a backwards, upside down, all kinds of messed up place here. And that that the uh, almost an instantaneous uh, recognition that, that we live pure lies here, that everything is a lie. It's like that. It's like, oh, well, well, but now I'm back here and now I need to reconcile the true reality with the false reality and make this reality back in integrity with the truth. There was like all of this just came crashing together in the moment in these avalanches of tears. It was like faucets got open and just like the uh, the tears that just kept gushing and gushing down my face. And, um, and I, you know, all the classmates in that classroom, they're like, oh, something happened. And so people were very kind of when the meditation wrapped up. Um, they could see that I was very, I was shaking and there was all this tears and people were very, very kind, but I wasn't able to find words to articulate what happened. And it, it, it just, I was kind of in a shock and it took a long time and it turned me into a seeker. And it was like, if this is our true reality, pure love, pure light, pure contentment, pure peace, how come there is so much war and divisiveness and suffering and sickness and so many of these things, you know, the abuses, the, the, the ways that we treat each other that is clearly not loving. Like how, how is it possible that we have created such a weird reality here? You know, so it turned me into a seeker. I started literally reading thousands of books on whatever I could find. And back then, this was 2003. I mean, these days, so much easier to find content like this. Your podcast, I don't think, existed in 2003, right? What a lifesaver it would be if I could explore all these topics that your guests talked about back then. I felt I had nobody, but I would look for books on NDEs. I was like, yes, those people, when they crossed into the light, they had that experience. It was like, oh my God, another, every piece of it was like a bomb for my soul. Like, I'm not going crazy. You know, my looking around here you know i still showed up at school i had part-time jobs and i did you know get get stuff done and i was a highly functional human being but inside i was in such a deep turmoil life looked so confusing to me it didn't make sense and it, you know now i realize it was what they call a dark night of the soul i didn't even have words to describe these experiences i just felt like a deep people are like how are you doing and i was functioning well so you wouldn't say that i was depressed Right? I would get up in the morning and do stuff, but I was just looking around this reality, feeling like this place is so fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> I, can't, I can hardly even stand being here. So I would go into meditation to try to escape because it was so dense and difficult and it felt so distorted and backwards, upside down, everything. You know, it was very hard those first two or three years. And if people really sat down with me and asked like, hey, how are, how are you doing? The honest truth that would come out is like, I feel so homesick. I'm so homesick. And people would be like, oh, you're like, we can go to Chinatown and eat some Chinese food. <laughs> I'm like, no, not that kind of home. I'm so homesick for our real home. I want to be back in this, the, the true reality of 
being content and at peace and one with all of creation again. And it was, you know, it's hard to say these things without sounding cheesy. And who back then in my life actually understood it? I tried to explain it. So I felt just so alone and confused for so long. But ultimately, that seeking journey, thousands of books, going to meditation retreat and spiritual retreats and studying with different healers and shaman and traveling around the world and finding like-minded ones eventually after about two decades, it started anchoring into a stable state where I recognized that I'm not alone. You're not alone. There's a lot of us that have had these. We're like little like popcorns. Like we all just popped at different times. And eventually the whole world's going to pop into this, this state of being this consciousness. Some of us maybe just volunteered to pop a little bit sooner, a few years sooner, just to help anchor in this reality a little bit sooner. And now is the time. This decade is the time where everybody is just pop, 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 pop at left and right now. So I feel blessed that I kind of went through this journey in a slow, steady pace of 20 years. And many people now are just having to integrate within a span of one or two years instead of I had the blessing of about two decades to stabilize before this time. Same, same as you, uh, about 25 years. I've been riding this train, which is uh, the same, uh, same wake up time, all that interesting stuff. You're, you're fascinating. So I get uh, Mark Gober. Thank you again, Mark Gober. You're going to be linked down in the show notes just for being sweet. Okay. Uh, I want to talk to you about, have you ever uh, partaken in psychedelics and you don't have to say if you're not comfortable? Prior, yes. Prior to that experience, just mushrooms, but, um, and MDMA, but not other ones. Yeah. Did you have any similar type of experiences of interconnectivity or anything like that when on any of those? Yeah, I feel that, um, and and I had, like, you know, in college babysat my friends through LSD trips and stuff, but I never felt the calling to do it myself. Um, yeah, I'm, I feel blessed that, that those, those medicines kind of opened some circuitries for me that probably made the Qigong experience that much more powerful, that much more possible, you know, and after that, I lost the interest in it was so many trillions of times more powerful, the direct meditative access to this realm that I lost interest in in using outside in medicines. I'm not against it. Uh, you know, I'm actually for it if it's used in a sacred and mindful and conscious way. But um, but then at a certain point, you when you have a, a more direct access, it, you, I think my experience was that I just didn't. I wasn't attracted to it anymore. Sure. What I find interesting about this is the experience you share, just similar to a psychedelic experience, for instance, on a variety of different um, medicines, uh, as well as uh, near-death experiences. And then even in some contact cases, we hear a lot of these similar expansive awarenesses that you come to where it's just so overwhelmingly beautiful psychedelics as well. There are colors you can't describe when you come back. You're just like, I don't know how to describe it. So these types of things are found among us, which is interesting in a variety of different ways to tap into some great awarenesses here. So my question for you, and this is just in your opinion, why do you think that you experienced it through that meditation in that way? And what do you think is your biggest takeaway from the fact that you had it? Like my, my question is psychologically for you. Hmm. Why do you feel that you were given a glimpse into that world, you at that time of your life? I don't know for sure. 
but there are some things that kind of resonate as true, which is that um, that I think we're given opportunities that we, our souls plan before we come, and whether it actually happens the in the most perfect way, I think we still have the free will to choose. Like that, that there's a choose your own adventure game, and then these opportunities are offered you at very specific times and there's probably planetary alignments involved where there's certain energies because it was the same meditation experience with a group of other students in the class and why is it that for me it was especially potent and powerful that day in that moment in my life right like yeah you you get this with psychedelic experiences contact experiences there are cases of two people standing there three people standing there two see a ufo one does not. Why? Right. You know, why did they connect with it? Why not? You know, uh, same thing when uh, three near death experiences that happened at the same time, they come back, had three completely different themed experiences with similar characters in it. So it's like they ran in the back and put on a different mask and then appeared to their friend this way. And then they changed the whole environment to be like clouds and stuff for their other buddy and needed to appear like Buddha. So it's interesting, this sort of. Yeah, amazed- I mean, this one. Right. This life is very mysterious, isn't it? Yes. But, I, but, but what I was going to say was, um, but there is something about uh, since then, I've done a lot of other work that informed bits and pieces of this, this kind of question. And um, there was um, when I went to a dark room meditation retreat, remembering of various past lives. And one huge dominant one was I remembered a recent past life where I spent the entire lifetime as basically a mountain hermit meditating as a young man all all throughout my life and then ended up becoming a um uh you know well-skilled chinese qigong master and so that i recognized that i was supposed to bring some of that skillfulness into this modern life you know living in the west um with what the world might call like a fancy Ivy League degree so that I can talk about these super woo things, but somehow just like with Mark, right? Yeah. Like he went to Princeton and he's got all these pieces of paper on the wall that lends this message a certain level of credibility. I'm happy to use my pieces of paper on the wall to lend this, this human possibility that we're all emerging into some groundedness and professionalism, so to speak, that like allow some people to hear the message who otherwise may be closed off to it. You know, so so I trust that, that I'm supposed to remember more pieces of this past life wisdom and bring it into modern times in a way that I think serves serves this body of work the best that I can. So I feel that I feel like being that four-year-old experience was there was something that was planned about that. And this in 2003 in Chinese medicine school and having not just philosophical understanding through the study of Chinese medicine, but pretty early in my career as a Chinese medicine practitioner to have the expansive direct experience of this um, consciousness and energetic realm and becoming a seeker in such a way that I just couldn't rest my soul until I integrated it in the practical physical reality. It just, that drew, that drove everything that I've done since in the last 20 years. How do you connect with your higher self or with your other lives that you've lived, so either past or simultaneous, however we want to view them? How, how does that facilitate it through you? Is it meditation or accessing your Akashic records or just someone else or hypnotic regression? How's that work for you? Yeah, um, back in 2009, 10, 11, I did 
I I simultaneously did a bunch of things. I was um, meditating a lot, doing lots of Qigong. I was also attending um, a bunch of Byron Katie workshops, looking at the work, which is a really wonderful way that is that reaches everybody, whether you're into super expansive consciousness or you just want to reduce stress in your life and have more harmony in your relationships. And, you know, like it reaches everybody at whatever level. So I had a lot of profound experiences actually doing those Byron Katie inquiry processes of looking at all the all my belief systems that was actually not in alignment with pure love and truth, you know, and then doing a bunch, I did probably close to a dozen past life hypnotic regression sessions also during that period of time. And it all kind of informed many different facets of this. And then in 2013, going into dark room meditation retreat, where I went really deep and just just surrender to being shown everything that I was meant to remember during this period of time in my life. And now in 2023, I'm feeling called to go back to dark room because it took so much was shown to me that it took a whole decade for me to integrate those experiences too. So um, yeah, so many different things, just like your audience, I'm sure it's not one modality, is it? It's the exploration of all of it, all of it and it all kind of like gives you one thread, one thread. And then in dream time, I've had um, different interesting experiences, some of which I later realized were actually contact experience. I just thought they were really rad dreams. Dad, okay, well, like, you got right? me to my next question. While you're running around in hypnotic regression, any of that stuff come falling out? Yeah, in hypnotic regression. And then later I started being able to access those realms pretty easily in my own meditation and dream time. So I stopped doing facilitated regressions. And I wow. just like uh, these days, I um, I just feel this deep inner contentment that whatever I'm meant to remember will just be shown to me that I, I don't I don't. Um, after about two decades of seeking and yearning and looking for many different modalities, gradually over time, it kind of stabilizes where you trust and know that trying harder doesn't help, but dropping into inner contentment and surrender and trust that that time codes get unlocked in a certain moment in a way that is kind of fun and delightful and mysterious. Just allow it to shown to be shown to you when you're meant to remember different facets of it. So yeah, so there was um, remembering different multidimensional cosmic human and non-human timelines all throughout my regressions. Only the first three were human and subsequent ones were all non-human. Um, is this I, one of the human ones that you're counting or did you have regressions where three were human and you're including this as another human experience of so four total that you're aware of? Um, more than that. So okay. I, in regression, I remember three human lifetimes and then I remembered some non-human ones. And then this one is a separate one. And then when I was in dark room, I had a really full remembering of my Qigong master lifetime, which is like a fifth one. Wow. Um, so, you know, that's, that's a lot to integrate already. Like it some is. people are chasing up the Akashic records and more passive. It's like, well, how's it working for you? How is this life working? If you can integrate the wisdoms and the insights from those other lives in a way that serves you in this lifetime to be the best version of yourself right now, you have this body. There's a reason you're here in this body you know, doing the job that you do right now with the community that you have right now, with the family members you have right now, do the 
best possible job with this life. Let's stay here, be here now, as Ram Das is so famous for, you know. 100%. I love that you brought this up. I'm grateful that you did so because, yes, we, we can be quite aware that there's something magical and amazing going on after this life. And perhaps some folks may relegate their experiences to focusing 100% on an afterlife per se. But like you said, I, I agree completely that, yes, our recognition of something divine and amazing and all that cool stuff, and especially with personal experiences, psychedelic, meditative, any of that, then it seems to me that there is something incredible here. But also you are in a physical body. You know, there's something I bring this up all the time, but uh, the movie, The Matrix, they're all sitting around the table eating that slop. And the dozer guy says, you know, it has everything the human body needs. Right. And Mouse, that other dude, says it doesn't have everything the body needs, meaning that there's a visceral experience that's part of this. There's a tangibility that's something that's that we prefer preferences. And so there's something to that and living in that experience and making sure that we can be a representative and a connective part of the divine, but also remaining a foot in so that we can also be relatable to people and drop F-bombs and stuff every now and then and, and let folks know that it's okay to be here and to have fun, then that's a beautiful balance. And, you know, it's this, I've used it sort of a, a, as a, you know, we, we use all sorts of metaphors and things to articulate what we're trying to uh, articulate here, what we're doing our best to. And spatially is how I've sort of relayed this. So the metaphor I've used is, is this, some people here ping pong between the black and white duality. It's on a horizontal axis if we picture this graphically. Folks okay. like you and I seem to be tapped into that there's something more going on in more of a third dimensional levels or a higher dimensional level. So we've taken ourselves out of flat land, right? And mm -hmm. we've gone into this vertical axis as well as we're aware of the 2D sort of ping pong, uh, pong sort of effect between dark light, whatever. And then, of course, there's a middle balance in that as well. But there's a as much as we feel connected to source within our experience or folks waking up experiences, as well as how far away we feel disconnected from source, not how far we are away, how far we feel we are away, right? So this feeling comes along with these ping pings as well. So you have this four directional axes now for folks like you and I that take us in a direction of super high and oh my God, high vibrational. And then one day you might feel like you're like, what is going on here? I feel so disconnected. There's a simulation and I hate it. Something like that, you know, or, or be very challenged in a way. But also, again, you have these uh, sort of vertical axes that you can go on while others are mitigated to just a horizontal. It's just the metaphor I'm using. So with that, there's there's a responsibility, I feel, for us not to lose our shit, per se, and to just live in sort of this kingdom in the clouds where we're constantly accessing the Akashic, where we're constantly doing those things, but not applying it or not sharing it or not going outside and making sure that we take note of the new butterflies that are flying around. You know what I mean? So there's a visceral experience to be had here, and I'm grateful that you have reverence for that as well. So I agree with you. Now, to that, I have gone into the my Akashic records or... Uh, I had someone go in there and two different folks, and it was fascinating. It was a similar experience to what you got on your hypnotic regressions. I just haven't been hypnotic regressed because I'm not called to that. This is what's so interesting about this as well is the accessibility to higher selves due to the modalities that you're naturally more inclined to be drawn to. So with you, it's your Jigong medicine practice. It's your meditative practices, your hypnotic regressions. Mine, it was psychedelics and then uh, hopping into the Akashic for a little bit. We both found things that were very interesting that we came to similar understandings that we were able to apply in this physical experience, whatever the hell this thing is. I think it's fascinating is all.
Yeah, and there is um thanks for um pointing that out because the the, the world is sometimes maybe some of your guests mix certain modalities sound like oh this is the most this is the shit right here and just uh it's a helpful reminder to the audience to all of us that that is like well that work for that guy or gal what's gonna work for you may be very different and so um i've had um one one of the teachers that i've studied with says something like you know he he had also studied many different uh spiritual traditions and kind of wove them in a way that was a really unique and he he said like if you had to choose a good bet is to look at your genetic lineage of this body you know in this lifetime my my soul chose to embody in a Chinese lineage, maybe because that there that's a hint that um, tapping back into the richness of the Qigong tradition might be a faster, more direct path for that activation because my DNA memory has a lot of that possibility that is easy to activate. Like every path works. Yeah, well, and culturally, you have more access to it. Yeah. You'd have a greater access per se than I would. Right. So to listen for that, like maybe we don't need to make things so un- unnecessarily complicated. In my case, it so it certainly seems like the Qigong practice, the Chinese medicine practice was an easy direct path for me to get activated into these experiences that ultimately are beyond technique, right? Like they're they're way beyond the modality. Yeah. Yeah. But you're just getting going here. So what I think is fascinating is the entourage effect, which is what we're talking about here. There are many different factors that accumulate up to the the people, air quotes, that you see before you today. Right. And we're constantly building, growing and evolving. And we're doing it at exponential paces. Like what they say about uh, technology doubling and things like that. That's sort of how our awarenesses feel like they're coming along. And especially with folks like us that have had a 20 or plus year head start, we've got some comfortability with our nervous system being shocked with new information. So what I'm saying to this is I'm all about and support the hell out of that, what you're doing with the Qigong medicine that you're doing. But I will say, don't, you know, relegate your astronaut career back as well. Cause I'm thinking Qigong astronaut, like that's what I'm talking about. And what it, what's cool about it is maybe we're stepping into an age with galactic help or otherwise where you don't need all these degrees and all these limitations to actually hop on something and to be useful in another dimension, whether you can go to, whether space is a place you can go or not. What I'm saying is, is that I feel that you're going to be stacking some intergalactic dope shit on top of what you've already been doing in this life, young lady. I'm excited to see it. Thank you. Likewise. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, that we're entering into a time where nobody just does one thing. Right. Yeah. And, and I often think people, people say, oh, what do you do? Do you do Chinese medicine or acupuncture? It's like, oh man, like that, that's, that's just, that's such a it's limiting, little, right? Like such a box to nobody, nobody wants boxes anymore these days, you know, um, we're the, a tapestry a weaving together of many different threads of wisdoms and skills and abilities in a uniquely beautiful way. And then as we come together in communities and create network effects with each other, there's just like this exactly this exponential beauty that blossoms out of all of us weaving together the very best of ourselves like it's it's like indescribable the beauty that is unfolding right now totally absolutely totally and if i've got to put a nomenclature on it it's deliberate creator if somebody's hey what are you what do you do i'm a deliberate creator 
Oh, okay, cool. And Beautiful. usually it asks some cool questions in which in which I will elaborate. Oh, I mean, it's a band that's really, really great. They're doing incredible and helping a lot and healing a lot of people. We found yeah. it at a publishing house and I do this. We do this incredible show here. So there's many facets in which that conversation can go. But if you want the short answer, it's deliberate creator. That's where I'm at with it. Beautiful. I love it. Well, I wanted to ask because you got to a point in there to where you said that there were no questions that you needed answers to in that moment, in this time and space. And so then I wanted to know what that felt like. What did it feel like to not have more questions in that moment that you can recall, if you can recall what that felt like? It's like the best orgasm you've ever had times a trillion. I mean, you know, just because I've got so many questions. And so I don't turn questions off. So it's interesting to me that that's even a thing, like uh, to think that there's no more questions to be answered. That's fascinating. Right. Because in this state, do you feel that do you think that's true, that there is a state you can get to to where there are no more questions? Or do you think that that was a trick or perhaps a test or whatever you want to say, an opportunity to be in disagreement with what you were presented. I'll put it that way. Oh, well, the the relationship with with time was so different. It's very hard to say, but it was kind of like this recognition that the moment you ask a question that in that moment, an answer is instantly met met oh, with the question. Yes. Okay. So there, there's this complete trust and faith that all the moment a question arises, answer is already there kind of thing. You know, can't so you see? That there's no questions. It's like there's no, no. No, no grasping. I see. I, I understand. And it's a beautiful yeah. way to put it, meaning that you have instant recognition, not that you don't aren't inquisitive about things, but just the second you are, you're like, boom, recognition. I get it. You have instant yeah, awareness it, of it. It might sound boring. It was like the opposite of boring, right? It was like the most delightful experience possible because because you're you're just in delight with existence itself. Yeah. What's a crazy, interesting question about this life that you want to know when you get done with it? I know you're not done with it yet, but what's like a stat of yours that you could see? Like mine is, I want to know how many times I farted in this life. Like what's that number? You know what I mean? Because I, I, I don't know what that number would be, but I think it'd be hilarious. Oh, I never thought about that. I mean, the the, the question that comes to mind for me is, is just like, like, You know, did I, did I, how, how well did I play my own game? Like I, I realized that I set up a little game for myself and I, then I look forward to kind of the life review and it's like, oh yeah, I did pretty well there. I could have done better. I surprised myself how I showed up beautifully there and I surprised myself how not beautifully I showed up there. Like I'm just looking forward to kind of having that higher perspective when I look back and and also recognizing there's no judgment. It's just like, okay, well, so based on all of this, what's the next go around that would serve you in evolving your consciousness to the next level, whether it's with a human body or in, a, in another the, the, a completely different realm of reality altogether, you know, like just, just the, there's infinite things to explore. Yeah. yeah. Yours is good too. I'm still going to stick with farts. So <laughs> I'm I'm curious about this false reality thing. So whenever you talked about that over there being way cooler and way more badass, what do you think this false reality that you and I are dancing around in right now, what do you think it's all about? What do you think its purpose and function is, if there is one? Yeah, um, I think we're here to play hide and seek with ourselves. <laughs> 
Yes. What a great yeah. answer. Just to be like, oh, what if, what would happen if I forget like the overwhelming majority of who I really am, but just like a tiny thread. Like when you go into nature, it will remind you like the beauty and the abundance. Like there's an energy that will be like, oh yeah. Like that, that just these little threads that keeps you remembering who you really are. And, and that moment when you, you know your child is first born and you look into their eye and this this blissful, unspeakable kind of like intensity of love the first moment that you look at your child when they're born like that um yeah those these little moments that's like oh yeah that's that's what home that's that's home base you know yeah. but the rest of the time to block that access it's kind of a fun game i suppose you know hide and seek well and if you if you think about it it, to that point, it would be something that as an omnipotent creator that can do anything it wants, it knows anything instantly with no delay or no, you know, knows exactly what it's like to, I don't know anything, but perhaps there is an experiential element to this that's desired. And with that, we have, you know, this construct of time because a, a time affects uh, over change, you know, you get duration, you get change. So the interesting part to this is, is that the experience itself seems to lend itself to a limitation that's preferred. And again, this is why I come back to that. This isn't like a hell or a prison or something like that. You know, I'm not a subscriber to that idea just at my core, rather it is or not. I don't know. Perhaps I'm intuitively fooled as my role is here and, and we all find out later, but I don't know. I'm not leaving it out of the scope of possibility. What I mean to say though, is, is that with, with your idea to limit yourself as a creator, that's a fascinating perspective from the thought because you and I can empathize and anthropomorphize ourselves out to a being that would know everything. Well, what's the opposite of an experience of knowing everything being incredibly limited or knowing just enough to make it a game, like a, like an escape room. Have you ever done one of those? You know what I mean? Where you go pay money and they lock you in a room and there's a bunch of clues everywhere and you got to get out in like an hour. I haven't done it, but yeah, that's basically what this life is, isn't it? It's yeah. what it feels like, right? Like you have a team and it's a bunch of us, but it's really like, pieces of you, but then even those pieces of you went off somewhere and got a bunch of extra cool lessons and skills and they acquired them in all these other lifetimes in the physical so that they could be brought here within one mega Voltron lifetime where all those lifetimes are within you and accessible and you're going around kicking ass. It's an interesting, fun perspective. So then the question to that would then be, what do you see the next step for us? You know, there's a lot of big changes occurring here. Everyone can see it. What's next? What in the immediate in your mind? Um, you know, I just kind of take a pause for a second to talk about this limitation game. It's mm. a lot like music. Sometimes if you're like, I'm going to write a song instead of with a guitar, with a ukulele, yes. it's like less strings. But could you make something even more beautiful? Because that limitations can spark some kind of creativity. When you have too many choices, sometimes you're less creative, right? And it's like, is it you got? I'm going to challenge you to play with a ukulele, and it has to be on this scale, and it has to have like a certain set of parameters. You're like, game on, let's go. I'm going to make the most beautiful song out of that very limited set of uh, possibilities. But to create infinite possibility out of that limitation, now that's a cool game, you know? Cool and game. so at a certain point, you're like, okay, I've really mastered this game and you're ready to now outgrow that game. And then you can add new strings to your instrument and new different kinds of scales and, you know, open the possibilities. And then you can really have the richness of the possibilities of the full 
full spectrum of notes to play with or the full spectrum of instruments to play with, whatever analogy you're thinking. But sometimes we got to slow it down and kind of really go deep into a certain limited possibility so we can maximally activate ourselves as conscious, intentional creators, right? Love this metaphor. Love this metaphor. It's it's the I, I love this. And as you're talking about, it, I know it's exactly what you were saying. But the way I was picturing it was is that you're a conductor, and you conduct an entire symphony of instruments. But it's all the sections: the woodwinds, the brass, all of that. Uh, and your job is to know every single piece. So you go into the violin and you learn how to play the violin from the violinist perspective. But it's a whole more amazing, complicated thing than that. This is a very reductive way to look at it, but. Let's say that lifetime's over and you're like, whoo, got it. But now what is it like to be two different perspectives of violin? So now you're the same instrument from two different eyes. So now you're a, you're a section, right? Now you've got a third lifetime that you run as a violinist and now you've got a chord going. So now there's an interesting combinations you get, but then you're like, you know what? I wonder what it would be like to add a timpani in here. So you go be a drummer for a little while and you learn all the percussion instruments. So it seems like all those lives that you live and all these incarnations and everything is like you niching down and specializing for the instillment of creativity because this is what great conductors do they know how to play all those damn instruments because they know their value and they know what they can do sort of like with this process like with you you do your own video production things like that so that you know how the process works and you know where in lies the strengths and combinations of everything it's an interesting metaphor you use and so i love that i will absolutely be passing that on and citing you thank you and and um um I'm sometimes guilty of this too. When you're first learning something new, you sometimes poop on the um, the last thing, so to speak. Like like when you're first, I don't know if you've had like law experts come to talk about different things. Like in we have, but from like a... common law and equity yes, law, and we stuff. have like yeah. there's many different um, different explorations, and so there sometimes. Um, an energy of like, oh, my way is more advanced than your way. And it's like, well, you know, maybe, maybe less, maybe we can humble ourselves a little bit and that recognize that everybody is on a, the perfect journey. And then everybody naturally deepens into sometimes that limitation is serving this, this, um, this higher possibility of like an incredible creativity that's going to blossom out of someone being limited so not to poo poo on these limitations but to 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 cheer each other on like i'm excited to see what what you what show you make out of this yeah. yeah what you can make of it and then i'm excited to learn from you too and then when we're both outgrowing this current phase we'll come together and expand into the next phase of both of our evolutions and see what kind of co-creation we can do in the future like to trust the perfection of that what a beautiful way to view this place. Thank you for that. That's a gift. Thank you. Yeah. We have many yeah. lenses in which we view this place. And that is a beautiful one to add to the repertoire. It's, um, it's, it's nice and it's mature, you know, it's where we are right now. So I really appreciate that. So thank you. Um, I tell you what, before we let you run, and this has been an absolute damn delight, we're going to do a bajillion more of these. Um, I am right. going to be linking, of course, all the ways to find you down in the show description. I want to touch on just a couple of things real quick. Your luminous kids, please tell us what you're talking about with that. That's fascinating. Yeah. How much time do we have? <laughs> well, you've got a little bit. I wanted to give you some time because we have a hard out with your uh, next commitment, but we still have a couple of things to talk about. But to wrap it up here, just definitely wanted to make sure we got the Luminous Kids in for, for sure. Okay. Well, I have another half an hour. Oh, so. well, hell yeah. Let's roll. 
Okay. Outstanding. Good. Yes. Yeah. Okay. We were saying roughly an hour and a half. So yeah, we have some time. Awesome. Let's roll through it. Okay. So um, maybe it's a storytelling time again. Oh, please. Yeah. Because, um, the luminous education stuff unfolded naturally out of a, a, a interesting story, which is that in 2013, as I mentioned, I um, went to this darkness meditation retreat. Many things were remembered and many interesting multidimensional journey experiences that helped me to kind of anchor into a deeper confidence of what am I doing here? And what is the quality of essence and energy I want to um, experience and share in this life, you know? So when I came back, I became just, it just, it was another kind of order of magnitude expansion in my sensitivities and sensibilities. So I come back to San Francisco. By now I had really stabilized and established myself as a Chinese medicine practitioner. And as a practitioner in San Francisco, I had a really um, good thing going. And when I came back from dark room, I noticed that I was able to see, sense, and feel energies in a different way. Almost like I was taking low dose psychedelics all the time, you know? And I was like, wow, this sure is helpful clinically. I could zero right into what's going on with my patients and be a lot more direct and efficacious in my work as a clinician. It was very practical and helpful. But at night, it's like the city noise. I never realized the city has so much energetic noise, like almost deafening. I would go home to my apartment. I could hear all the stressful, shitty thoughts of my neighbors. Like, ah, and I didn't know how to turn it off because it was new, you know? Yeah, like Spider-Man when he gets his spider sense. It's all too much at first. It's too much. Yeah. And so, so, and if people were grumpy in our apartment building, I didn't know how to turn it off yet. And so I had a really hard time resting at night. I was like, this is exhausting. When I'm really focused one-on-one with a client, it serves a very purpose, but a good purpose. But when I'm trying to rest and it's so noisy energetically and the, with the Wi-Fi and the 5G towers and all just the cars and the city noise, plus the energetic, emotional, stressful noise of our apartment building, I had to leave. So I told my husband, I was like, I um, can't live in the city anymore. I'm going to find a place in the countryside. I'll commute in during the week. I I don't care about the long drive, but at night I need to be in total serenity and in nature. And so he's like, oh man, you know, and he's been by my side through all the weirdo stuff when I'm doing past life regression, I'm experiencing all these like alien ET experiences. And he's like, all right. And, you know, it's just like, and just, I just want to honor all, all the people listening and then your friends, your family, your partners for their awesomeness, for putting out, putting up with your weirdoness. <laughs> so here I am, I'm such a weirdo. I'm like, I cannot sleep in the city. I have to just be in nature. And so it's like, all right. And so we both have jobs in the city. So I dragged him to the countryside to a little town called Sebastopol, California, which is a, like a little over an hour outside of San Francisco. And we found this cute little cottage with an acre of land and fruit trees and gardens and stuff. And there was no, no, you know how when you turn on your devices, you can pick up the, the Wi-Fi signals of your neighbors. There was zero, just ours. Yeah. <sighs> and there was no 5G towers. There was no a street like glaring in, you know, like it was just nature. And at night, it's just beautiful stars. And I'd lived in cities all my life growing up in Hong Kong. And so I'm like, it's like, wow. Who am I 
when I live in this environment where I naturally wake up with the sunrise. I yeah. never experienced that before. Who am I when the sun goes down and I naturally feel just like chilled out? And then I don't have to send an alarm to be like, I should go to sleep and be healthy and get my eight hours of sleep. I just naturally wanted to tuck into bed and get a really deep, restful sleep. And then I'm super refreshed and ready to meet the day naturally and without having this, like it blew my mind that that's how an, a human naturally is supposed to be. I'd never experienced that. Right. Living in cities all my life. And then, you know, again, I hope it's not too TMI. My menstrual cycle got exactly clockwork, perfectly synchronized. And I could feel the moment of my ovulation. I could feel when I was going to get my menstrual time. Like the, I was tuned into the rhythms of my body in a way that didn't take effort. I was tuned into naturally when I'm hungry, wanting to eat, when I'm not hungry, not eating. Beautiful sunshine during the day, sleeping in complete darkness at night, barefoot on bare earth, natural human experience. Like it blew my mind how great we're supposed to feel. And um, like, We've been duped that living this connected, healthy, happy, harmonious, rhythmic life like that, that is something so complicated, you know, and when we don't get it, it turns into a lot of expensive things that require a lot of expensive medicines and therapies and so on. And so that actually evolved into the, the first book I wrote called Super Wellness, which is like, hey, we've been sold a bunch of lies, like like living a life of deep inner well-being is 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 your natural state and it doesn't have to be so expensive and complicated and it was from my own direct experience by then i'd been doing chinese medicine for over a decade before i was like even chinese medicine a lot of times is unnecessarily complicated and and you know it could be so much simpler you know so in this state i started having really deep meditative experiences naturally also it was very easy to drop into the stillness and get those intuitive answers and my inner intuitive guidance and inner compass just turned on much stronger now because I didn't have so much energetic noise from the city. And then this little baby started visiting every single night in my dreams. And he's like, hey, I know you guys weren't planning to have children, but I picked you. It's my time to come now. And so I'm talking to Dave, my husband, I'm like the baby's here again, like night after night. He's like, ah, la, 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 la. I'm yeah. to have a kid. I was just like, we live in Northern California. It's way too expensive. We can't afford it. And just all oh, I want our freedom. But really in hindsight, it was that most of what we've seen as examples of parenthood and education were things that we had evolved our evolution of our consciousness had said like we don't want that in our life we don't want like when we're with our peers it's always kind of mutually respectful and collaborative in everything we do it's like 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 hey friend like where do you want to go out to eat dinner and you want to be gluten-free and you want to be paleo and you want to yeah, Asian or you want to eat fish or you want whatever. Let's find a restaurant that works for everybody. Yeah. Right. Like, of course, that's how we roll in life, you know, but for some reason in education and in parenting, we didn't see that. We saw a lot of sit down, shut up, go to your room. Children should be seen and not heard. You're grounded. 
you got to, you know, go to school and basically it's like a prison sentence. You sit in these little desks and do boring clerical workbook. And we saw a lot of that, that we were like so glad that we're out of that phase of life. That was like a prison sentence. And then in our holistic hippie communities, we saw maybe a flip-flop response to that, which is kind of like, almost like absentee parenting because we don't want to be authoritarian. So we want our children to take the lead, which is a beautiful sentiment. But sometimes we, um, you know, we go a little too far. We flip the paradigm and actually the kids are not getting the kind of like, like container and support and nurturing so that they can blossom fully into a supportive, facilitated um, energy, right? So, so almost like absentee parenting, we've seen some of that and we're like, mm, that doesn't seem that great either, you know? And so we're like, yeah, I guess we're not cut out to be parents. That was our, we just like done. We had made that conclusion already. And then this baby comes every single night for many months. And it's like, how hey. was your husband with hearing that a baby was visiting you and very viscerally, like how was he psychologically with that? So by by then, um, we had been together for already 12 years and I'd been telling him so many weirdo stories of my cosmic multidimensional travels that it didn't really surprise him, except he's like, I don't know. I don't I'm not ready to be a parent like that just seems is I, I don't. I, I thought we decided we weren't having kids. Right. It's like I don't want your space, baby. Stop it. So so this baby keeps coming every single night and i'm kind of looking forward to it now he's a cool little dude every <laughs> night i go to sleep and i get to travel the cosmos and swim around and dance around and like 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 play with this this space baby and um and then there was this one night in which i fell asleep and then i was in this half-wake half-dream state and dave was right there and we ended up having basically a three-way cosmic powwow where the baby came i was like the baby is here again and he's like, oh, the baby again? And I'm like, yeah. And he's showing me this. And in this particular scene, he showed me this beautiful ocean of all of these cosmic babies. Every one of them is an orb of light. And they're connected with these strings and strands of light. And it's like an ocean, a whole web of this. And as he's showing this to me, my entire system is experiencing this beautiful, very like high crystalline, blissful energy. So pure and so beautiful, the sensations that I was experiencing as he's showing this. And he said, you know, Right now, there's a whole generation of us that we've all scoured the cosmos and we made a choice to come to Earth and we've all scoured the entire Earth and picked the perfect family and the perfect permutation of the timeline and the location and the planetary alignments and the people and the places, all of it is so intricately and elegantly planned. I can't explain to you properly you have to trust my word for it that we've each scoured the cosmos and scoured the planet and precisely architected this weaving of perfect energies so that we can all come together in communities that are interconnected with each other and blanket the earth with a new experience of what it means to be human Everything that you guys object to about education, parenting is true. You are right. Just so you know, all of us, we don't got nothing to do with that. Yeah. 
that it doesn't apply to us anymore. We have to show you a new way of family life and education and a new way of what it means to be human. But we need bodies to do that. <laughs> Please, can we have a body, basically? And he said, just so you know what you're choosing, you think you're choosing a nuclear family? Like just you guys become parents and then you'll have a kid and that's it. No, it's not about that. It's about all of this. Because if you choose not to conceive me, and then he went, poof, he disappeared the whole scene. And then it was just pitch black blank. He said, we need to come back to the drawing board and create the new permutation that works for everybody because it's all so intricately planned and interconnected that each choice influences the whole. And so, so you're choosing this, all of this. You're choosing to be part of this web work of energy. You're not just choosing me, you know. Mm, and so it was that like, it. that's a hard flex for a space baby. You know what yeah, I mean? So he was like, no pressure like, or anything. Damn. damn. So my my husband was like, oh my god. All right, I'll consider it after that, right? And so while that was happening, also I experienced my womb getting something like an etheric surgery. I felt an a, a whole energetic upgrade that happened in my womb space. And so after that, the energy of the baby in the house was so strong that people would come over and be like, is there a baby in this house? We're like, no, there's no baby. They're like, are you sure? Like our friends could feel that energy. And there was a certain moment in which we felt, we knew that this was the right time. We felt his very strong presence. And we had this experience of the conscious conception of all three of us coming together. There was a moment in which we knew this is the time that he wanted to be conceived. And it's the trippiest thing. After he was conceived, I felt this... <laughs> this life cycle of breath in my womb that started pulsating. And I knew he was a boy. I knew exactly that moment that he, that life cycle started in my womb space, that energy shift very palpably. And I didn't need to do ultrasounds or, you know, I did a pregnancy test six weeks later just to make sure it was progressing as I, I was imagining it was. And then the whole time of pregnancy, it was like he was already my my buddy that I had known for many months before conception. So he was still my buddy, but now we have a, a deeper connection. And so I would take him everywhere like, hey, buddy, what do you want to eat today? Are you hungry for this? And we would go to the midwife appointments and we'd pick the midwife together, all three of us together. Not It's not like just me, you know, obviously I had a lot to do with it, but everything was collaborative from then on. So when it came to school, we toured some different holistic preschools and was like, oh, this one is really nice. Like it's holistic and indoor and outdoor and they're all organic and they're friendly towards the paleo and the vegan people and the, all the things and um, arts and crafts and music and lots of nature time and gardening and climbing trees. It was so holistic and wonderful. And I was like, this is the place. And so we gradually transitioned him, right? Like everything intuitively just happened perfectly where it was just like, hey, baby, what's going to work for you? So it turns out a home birth was what was natural that worked for everybody. And um, and then well, here I am with a baby. I never read a manual about how to take care of a baby. So I would just talk to him like, baby, what do you need? And it turns out he wanted to co-sleep. So we were a co-sleeping family and I didn't have terminology for these things. And I was like, somebody said, hey, you guys are doing attachment parenting. I was like, what's that? I'm like reading it on the internet. Like, I guess we are. And somebody said, do you know about rye parenting? It seems like you're doing that. I'm like, what's that? I read it. It's like, oh, treat your baby 
as if they're like a conscious being. And, you know, that had to be. they are. I mean. So, right. Exactly. So don't you have this mixed feeling like, thank you, somebody for writing a book about it. And then why do we even need to have to write a book about it? Why do we have to mess up society where we have to remind each other, hey, your baby is a fully sentient being. They may not speak English or whatever language yet, but treat them respectfully. Talk to them when you take them to change the diaper. Like, hey, baby, you have a wet diaper. Should we go change it now? And then, you know, like respect them in that way, even when they're pre-verbal, came naturally. And it was like, people were like, oh, you're doing the system of parenting. All of that was just like, wow, this is a very interesting journey for me. Like, it's a, it's a whole thing, this conscious parenting and attachment parenting and fry parenting and the different educational philosophy is very interesting that a lot of it is just like if we have a soul to soul connection with each other it unfolds naturally without terminology or without any kind of uh rigidity of philosophy around it it just is you know how old is your boy now he is eight now wow And so what I was about to share, this entry into this body of work that we call the Luminous Education Revolution now unfolded naturally when he was um, a year and a half into doing preschool, he started having more language skills and he started saying, you know, I don't like it that why do I have to eat snacks when the teacher says it's snack time? I want to eat snacks when my body is hungry, not when the teacher says snack time. And I want to pee pee and poo poo when my body says pee pee and poo poo, not yeah. when they say it's potty break. And then it was like, bing, my light bulb started going off. And by now I've had, you know, like more than 15 years of holistic medicine experience working with very supposedly complicated, incurable people that are like have these incurable condition i keep seeing them cure their incurable conditions yeah. and i'm like okay well what was the secret sauce in every one of those cases it was always this reconnection back to ourselves coming back to ourselves really tuning into the space of self-care and self-love and listening moment to moment what does my body need and not fighting it just doesn't need rest i'm gonna rest is it hungry for sunshine get some sunshine does it need to say no to overcommitment? okay learn to say no you know learn to really be tuned in in this way and then it's like wait how did we get so too you know disconnected and tuned out of ourselves to begin with well it started in preschool like this maybe here's my four-year-old boy showing me the secret sauce that i've been seeking as a holistic medicine practitioner and you know going through you know working with people with quite severe intense health conditions and then bringing them back to themselves and it's like oh it started at this kind of age for most of us that we got so in a disconnected and indoctrinated into listening to outside authority that we got gradually um, more and more disconnected until we're having a midlife crisis in our 40s or having a serious health crisis, you know, late in life before we come back to ourselves. So basically, long story short, my kid just started kicking and screaming. And I would go into the preschool with him and I would see that he's really into his building project and engineering stuff. And he's like building really epic structure, like a Taj Mahal here. And they're like, ding, now it's time to go uh, do music. And he's like, wait, I'm not done building yeah. Taj Mahal. Don't interrupt me. And so in I flow. just 
yeah i was like oh what what, what is up with this like not giving our our kids a space to be in their flow that's actually way more damaging than maybe i realized before like how does a innovation and creativity and the best of human ingenuity happen if we disrupt it constantly like that ding now you're like supposed to do math ding an hour later you're supposed to do history ding an hour later you're supposed to do english and ding you have to you're like 16 years old and you can be driving a car and you still have to raise your hand to go pee and get permission right like there's a lot of things that it got the gears turning for me like wow this goes so deep. What my child is trying to tell me goes so deep. And so I just figured it out and I followed his lead. And basically my husband and I took him out of that preschool and just bumbled along and listened to his guidance. And so we followed that guidance and started researching the different ways in which people do what's called homeschooling, which is a term I really don't like because you're not home and you're not a school. You're learning all the time. You become returned to your natural state as a natural, creative, innovative, ever evolving, ever learning and growing being who has connection with the curriculum that already came imbued in your cells, actually. Right? There's a curriculum available in every single child that if we listen deeply and facilitate it, it wants to blossom into existence. And when we're present with our kids, it's very clear and obvious what they're requesting and needing in every moment. And so so returning back to this inner connection and allowing our kids to show us the possibility if they didn't get disrupted, what kind of brilliance and beauty is possible when we have communities of these new kids who are tuned in and tapped in in this way. And many of the kids that I uh, interact with, including our own, have various memories of their pre-incarnation experience. They have memories of choosing their parents. And my child tells vivid details of exactly all the things of how he he chose us, how he jumped into my dreams and how how that process works. And he remembers himself as a star beyond before he chose to become what he calls a space baby and then how he scoured the cosmos and chose us as parents and and the experience of jumping into the portal that goes into my belly and all of those details he he remembers consciously and then with regards to his education he's very clear about what he wants to learn and and you know, it's like, I want to go to nature school, but only one day a week, like very clear about these kinds of things. I'm really good at math. I want to learn math. So he goes on Khan Academy and he blasts through just in the last year and a half, all the way from first grade through now he's um, about a third of the way into seventh grade at age just for fun click 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 watch some videos click 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 you know these things that just i i know it kind of seems sounds like a braggy mom thing but i'm genuinely mind blown watching some of these kids and kind of having some grief around how um how it didn't have to be so unnecessarily stifling for our when we were growing up like that, that when those of us that are creative people, it's amazing how well we turned out against all odds. And now is a generation where we don't have to kind of contort and distort our kids anymore. Just let them blossom into the full possibilities now. Man, 
What an incredible story. So, um, you know, but it feels like that you and I were part of a galactic group of space babies that went to our parents and whispered in their ear to make the bringer of light with two backs to bring all of us in. So it seems like also that this your child is part of this sea of children now that are these who knows how many you said an ocean. It, it was overwhelming that now come in with this intuition. But we needed to be stifled air quotes by it. We needed to have the experience we had with it. I'll put it that way, which was perfect for us, because like you said, we are a different we have a different constitution because of it. But because of that. A lot of the things, and I'm sure you can empathize this with, with this as well, a lot of the things where my parents stopped, like the things that were handed to them from their generation, and they just said, okay, you guys deal with it too, they stopped right here. My brother and I both stopped drinking for our family, and it's it ended with us. And it's been a huge thing, and I quit, and then a year later, he quit. And it's been a massive wow. thing for us both. Yeah, thank you. Wow. And so it's it's this huge thing, but this is the point. It felt like that you and I are this second wave that Dolores Cannon talks about whenever they talk about these wave of volunteers and that your son is part of this amazing third wave that really gets, like you said, gets to see all the dope shit that we do. That we that we'd like to that you and I have been buffers and healers for of our own lineages to bring that type of energy in. Awesome. Absolutely fascinating and awesome. I yeah, love everything so about this. So this has a, just just kind of now we're in communities of people and it just evolved naturally in 2020 when all the schools were shut down, we became and maybe some of your audience too, if you had been homeschooling or unschooling or doing some alternative style of education, maybe when all the shutdowns happened, a lot of people said, hey, uh, you're the one weirdo in our community that has this alternative approach. Like, can you help us? You know, the schools are all shut down. Like, how do you educate your children? How do you raise them? Like, what happens? You know, because we're you to just Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, it's just our culture's norm to give your kid to the government. And that's more for workers. You know, the Rockefeller's quote around the turn of the century, I want a nation of workers, not thinkers. And that's what ended up with kids like you and I, which ended up birthing the situation we're in, which is really this incredibly advanced, amazing level up in consciousness because of the path that you and I have chosen to incarnate in in this physical body at this time to then be the path clearers for those that are to come that then clear the path. And I mean, it's a it's an incredibly intricate process. So the way you describe it is so fascinating to me or the way your son described it to you that you're articulating here is incredibly interesting to me because I do feel that there's some greater tapestry going on here and that it's beautiful and perfect in a lot of massive ways. And like you said, we can get caught up in the game and we can get caught up in the the haunted house is what this guy named sam tripoli calls this place it's not really going to hurt you but it jumps out and scares you and gets your attention right and so it's it's just fascinating when you when you take all these approaches and again like the way that you articulate this your perspective what you're doing with these kids and with your community is incredible and like i said we have a tribe as well it's not our tribe it's our altogether tribe so we can be a service in any way please let me know this is absolutely fascinating yeah, so it evolved gradually after 2020, just running groups and doing some masterminds and coaching and support and helping other parents to, to explore, you know, what's going to really work for your kids. Let's throw away the dogma. Let's actually just be present with our families and with our communities and our kids. Like what makes your kids heart sing? And let's come back to tuning into that inner curriculum that is available in every child. And what would the world look like if that becomes more of the standard norm and we can raise our kids together? 
together in communities like this. So there's a lot of inner work and deprogramming and more inner work that required for us to be able to be totally present and truly honoring and respectful of each other and collaborative in this way because the we don't have a lot of examples of that so we're 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 learning we're letting our kids show us this new path forward and um, what i call luminous education is really that next evolution of things beyond you know the phases is kind of like default public school government raises your children thing which you know, there's a certain, it served a certain purpose. There's a minimal competency of literacy and numeracy that I think that allows you to be able to read instructions and follow orders in the factory, right? Like it served yeah. that purpose, <laughs> but we've outgrown, we're so outgrown that now, right? So the next evolution is a lot of people seek out like alternative style schools, more holistically minded schools. And we were there too, you know, and uh, Waldorf or Montessori, like more respectful, honoring, more holistic, more in tune with the spiritual more in tune with nurturing a bit more creativity in our children and so on, like much better. It's a huge improvement from the default public school. But with all the shutdowns of 2020, a lot of people started asking questions like, wait, you know, do that. I'm still kind of like giving my child to a system. Is it really working? And some of those systems, they with the different protocols and stuff that got kind of controversial, a lot of the educators in those systems were like, well, I guess I'll just follow the government edicts. And it's like, well, so when you give your child to a system, it only can go so far. And so a lot of people started saying, okay, I'm going to just try homeschooling, take my kid out of that system and just do our own thing. Maybe I download some curriculum and just kind of hack something together. That's what most people do at the beginning is actually not true homeschooling, it's school at home. Right. You download some curriculum and try to follow it, but you're doing it in the kitchen table. <laughs> right. But at least you let your kids sleep until they're well rested and listen to their own biorhythms, eat when they're hungry and go to pee and poop when their body needs and not have to raise a hand and wait for permission. Like that's a huge improvement. It's a lot more respectful of your kid. Yes. And people yes. blow their mind like, what? It only takes one hour a day, maximum three hours a day to do the entire curriculum. What were they doing all day there? So Making you know, sure they could produce <laughs> workers. That's what they were doing. That's their job is to limit everyone's creativity, to put them in a box and to slow everything down and to make it absolutely asinine. That's their job. And it confuse so, and disorient and install the program, right? Exactly. So a lot of, there's a journey of awakening that happens when families and parents start to like take the kid out of phase one into phase two into phase three. These phases that I'm talking about each, there's a layer of awakening that happens now with each one of these phases. And then as children and families follow these kind of downloadable curriculum, a lot of times they're like, hmm, this is creating a lot of strain and stress in our family to rigidly follow this curriculum. And sometimes my child lights up, sometimes they hate it. And now I'm like cracking the whip at the kitchen table and I got to like go to work and pay the bills and do the laundry and pick up the Legos. And now I got to be like sitting here cracking the whip following some government curriculum that I don't no, if I even agree with. Yeah. Huh. So a big leap happens when you start asking these questions. You're like, maybe there's a different way. Maybe I can just let my child take the lead. What really makes their heart sing? What are they passionate about? What lights them up? 
maybe there's already this kind of like, you start to discover that maybe your child already has an inner curriculum that wants to be facilitated and blossomed into existence. Like, let me listen for that. And so that's what they call child-led, self-directed or interest-led learning or play-based learning, these terms that you hear. Like, so now you're like, let me explore some of these alternative paradigms of just letting the child take more of a leadership role. And let me step back and just become the supporter and facilitator. What does that look like? To do that, you have to do a huge amount of de-schooling or de-programming. So that's phase one, two, three, four, five right there. Default government public school, alternative schools like Waldorf style or Montessori, and then trying to homeschool, which begins to, in the beginning, looks like school at home. And then de-schooling, and then what they call unschooling, but you know, self-directed, interest-led based learning. And when more people do all of that deprogramming, de-schooling, unschooling, de-schooling, unschooling, it's a cycle of layers and layers of things. You shed so much baggage from your upbringing as you accompany your child on this journey. Like, wow, it's magic, the magic and the delight and the shock and the surprise and the nonsense, one size fit allness that it's like a breath of fresh air that you you philosophically maybe have some idea, but until you experience it in your family directly with your child and watch the light bulbs, it's like when your child is, they're super little and they first roll over and they start first say, dada, mama. You're like, wow, you said dada, mama. But it keeps going. And in our communities with like the middle schoolers, with the high schoolers, because we're present with our kids, these breakthroughs that happen is equally magical. And our culture doesn't celebrate it because we're used to just giving our child the way to strangers to raise them starting first through 12th grade. So we miss out on so much with our children, the magic and delight and all these milestones and breakthroughs, you know. So so as more people recalibrate and it's a big thing because now you have to recalibrate your life. And most families who do this have had to make some um, courageous choices in their careers to make their lives more flexible. Maybe you downsize your life so it's not as expensive. So you have the flexibility and freedom to live life in this way, reprioritizing your priorities. It takes a lot of courage to do that, you know? And, um, and then now you're like, oh, well, who else is doing this? And you come together with communities and that's what's happening right now in our area. We're finding groups of people that are all wanting to raise children in this way and collaborating and co-creating villages and learning experiences where educators, moms, dads, the kids in mixed age groups come together and share their passions together. And we're finding this like maker space right now that we're building project-based learning experiences and then a la carte different learning experiences based on the kids' interests. If enough kids are interested in a certain topic, we'll hire a tutor to come facilitate learning experiences for that topic. So like it just kind of unfolds in this very organic, natural way, the way that probably traditionally we always were. Like this age segregation, rigid, one-size-fit-all dogmatic way of schooling our children 
is long over. We've so outgrown that paradigm. And where we're going, a lot of people think, oh, should I do homeschooling? Should I do unschooling? Where we're going is actually so much more beautiful than homeschooling or unschooling. It's beyond that into this, what I call the new luminous education learning villages, where we come together as communities to share and learn and grow and explore our interests and passions together, supporting each other in basically multi-generational villages and mixed age learning environments that I think will just um, will look beautiful and different in every single community. And, and gradually over time, I think we'll probably travel to each other's learning villages. And, you know, like, I'm going to spend a summer at your learning village and see what I can learn from your community. It's just like, yeah, the, the limitless possibilities that's kind of arising through our families right now. God, I love your vision. I love this. What an awesome thing you're doing. You're just such a treasure to this place. Thank you so much for everything you are, for what you're doing, the healing that you came through to to be here with us and to be so strong and to be so confident in this and these ideas. You're just such a treasure. Again, thank you so much. Yeah. Um. So for anyone that's interested, the luminous education stuff, it started in 2020, evolved and matured gradually over time. So now if you go to the website that Brennan's going to link down below, luminousrevolution.com, you'll see this really beautiful 18 session soul searching journey with people like Matthias De Stefano, um, Charles Eisenstein, Penny Kelly. I don't know if you know who she is. She wrote the book, The Robes. Um, a lot of people that I think your audience might love, consciousness explorers and visionaries of the future of humankind, looking at, oh, my friend, um, John Chavez, who I don't know if you know John Chavez, he runs the nonprofit DMT Quest. He's a human consciousness and human potential researcher expert, and he distilled all of his scientific research about human consciousness and human potential and insight and intuition. How can we re-architect the entire education experience of our children to nurture their access to the what he calls the endowaska state? The, inside out ayahuasca experience of visionary insights and intuition and tapping into not just beta and alpha but the gamma states in a you know in in a conscious and constructive way where our education specifically helps to nurture the access to intuitive realms and creativity and insight and all of that stuff so all of these kinds of things and of course the deep inner work that it takes for us to hold ourselves as a new kind of human and to accompany our children in anchoring this new consciousness into practical ways of doing life as human beings. You know, there's a lot of inner work involved here. So it's an 18 session journey. And then later this fall, I'm going to launch a um, supportive kind of coaching community so that we can basically do a study group worldwide where we accompany each other as we do this inner work together to blossom into these new ways of doing education and parenting. And so we're planning to um, build a worldwide, uh, a new website that connects communities worldwide with this vision that I'm talking about, where we don't all have to separately reinvent the wheel. Like each of these communities have figured out wonderful ways to organize the communities of families and then 
and then what works for you that we can share our best practices and cross pollinate more quickly. It's like what you said in the beginning of this episode is all exponential right now. Yes, yes. We're all cross pollinating and lifting each other up. So I, I'd like to be part of the facilitation of that. Well, you're doing the hell out of it. I mean, 2020 was a gift and it emerged these these concepts, these ideas and this sort of community building that we're all very, very ready for. And this is the time. And like I said, you're doing the hell out of it. Dr. Ethan Butu Chan, thank you so much. Looking forward to every conversation that we have. All the ways, of course, to find you located down in the show notes. Come back any damn time, all right? Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you to the audience for sharing this beautiful conversation with us. You guys are awesome. I'm so blessed to connect with this community.